So last week we began to talk about Jesus as the Good Shepherd and His calling the sheep out to Himself. And so one of the things we talked about last week was He was calling the Jews out of Judaism into a relationship with Him. Uh, next week, I think, or maybe after Easter, it's almost Easter. Can you all believe that? It's, it's almost here. It's hard to believe. Two weeks from today, it's Easter, and I think eight weeks away, school's out. Woo! Yeah, right? For some of you, you're like... Um, so anyway, it's, uh, the year has flown by faster than last year, uh, for sure. Things really kind of stopped down last year. Um, but we have been talking uh, in John chapter 10 here of Jesus calling out the Jews from Judaism into a relationship with them, and, and then uh, in a couple weeks from now, he will call the Gentiles from the nations, and he will make one flock, the Gentiles and the Jews, together in this one family uh, connected to him as um, the great shepherd. And so we began to deal with last week, and we will touch on it again today because he says it a second time, is that the true sheep of God do not follow strangers' teaching, strangers' voices, because they know the voice of the shepherd. And so in verse 5 it says this, Jesus says, A stranger they will not follow, for they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. One of the distinctive marks of the sheep is that they listen to the shepherd's voice more than anything. Now as Jesus taught on this day, and he's proclaiming this, the religious leaders are gathered around. And he is dealing with them in regard to the kind of shepherding that they had been doing. Now, they had just really done some bad shepherding. If you remember, the man has been, who had been born blind, he has been healed. They try to get him to change his story, to disparage Jesus. He doesn't do so. So they excommunicate him out of the temple. They close the door, in a sense, to him being a part of worship life in the temple. Jesus finds him on the steps outside of the temple and opens the door to him to come into relationship with Christ. So, so the religious leaders had shut the door on the man. Jesus opens the door to true life to this man. But as Jesus shares these things, look at verse 6. He's talking directly to them, but they don't get it. It goes over their head. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what Jesus was saying to them. I think as this goes along, they begin to understand that he is directly talking to them. But there is always a great necessity for biblical understanding in our lives, that we would understand what is contained in a text and what Jesus says. So today we're going to talk about Jesus is the door to life and the implications of that for us in our lives. But let me give an illustration as we begin. Let's say you find a wall one day, and it's kind of a not real super high wall, but it's a wall and it's kind of long, and, and you're walking along the wall and you're wondering what, what this is for. And then you begin to hear noises on the inside. And it sounds like the people on the inside are joyful. It seems like there's rejoicing. It seems like there's life in there. And you, you're continuing to go wondering about what in the world is on the inside of there and what is causing those people to have the kind of life that they have. And the further and further you go, you get to a door. And when you get to the door, you find that the door is unlocked. And it's, there's a welcoming for you to come inside and see what in the world is going on on the other side of that wall and inside the room. The question is, what would you do if you got to that door and it was unlocked? And you could hear the joy and you could hear uh, what was the life that was going on inside there. What would you do? Would you walk away? Or would you be interested and curious enough to turn the door handle and take a peek inside or to step inside and to see what in the world was going on in there? I was 17 years old and had walked 17 years of my life running my hand down the wall of the world in and near Christianity and faith and other believers. And on a Sunday night, I came to the door. And for the first time that I could recognize and understood that there was a welcoming sense that I could step through that door and find out what was on the inside of what had separated me. And when I stepped inside, it was a Sunday night in Waco, Texas, and I watched people that I'd gone to school with and I'd teased because of their faith, and I watched them talk about what Christ was doing and transforming in their life. And when it was all said and done, I went up to our youth pastor 
And I, and I literally said these words. I said, I want what all those people were talking about tonight because I don't have it. And what we're going to talk about today is that you may be one of those that you're still in life, you're walking along and you're hearing about this hope and this life that is offered in Christ, but you've never really taken a consideration. You've never really looked at it. You've never stepped in to go, so what does this mean for me in my life? What could, what could transpire in my life if I trusted in Jesus? And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in this room today, He is calling somebody in this room to himself today to come to a place of belief to move from staying beyond the wall to stepping in with the invitation to come inside and to find real life life that's abundant life that's joyful life that is satisfying and we're going to talk about that today and for those of us who have stepped inside the room and we've come to know christ is your life full of joy today or are you wrestling with things? Have you, do you feel distant? And we're going to talk about what it looks like to come back to Him and what He offers to you and I in a relationship. Growing up in the United States of America, we have been conditioned by our culture to be seekers of the good life. Meaning this, the American dream. Own a house, a couple of good cars, maybe a late model car. He could drive around and look awesome in or have a boat, have a lake house, dress nice, go out and eat consistently, send our kids to the best schools for education, and then retire eventually when we're older to a comfortable life of freedom. And many in our country work really hard. They achieve the American dream. They save well, and they get to that place. But there's a much more pertinent question to ask in the room this morning, and it's this is what if all you ever achieve is the good life and you never come to know the abundant life? That we never come to really know what it is that Christ offers to you and I. Because I believe many achieve the good life. I think immoral people achieve the good life. They get to a place where they can retire, they can travel, they can go, they can have, they can do all kinds of things, but they've never tasted that God is good. And that He invites us into this unique relationship with Him. See, far fewer come to know the promise that is connected to the abundant life that is connected to Him. And by the way, the good life is not enough to get you into heaven. It's not enough. You can achieve all of those things, but they are not enough. The accumulation of things does not move God's heart to open up the door. We must come through the door to come into a relationship with Him. And it is highly possible and sometimes highly likely, even in the church, to be baptized into the American dream. Become a disciple of it all. And have a lot of stuff. But it is far better to know Christ and to be baptized in salvation into the Holy Spirit and to live in the blessings that come from above. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke about the American dream. And he said this about a man who had a lot of stuff and he began to get a lot more stuff. And he's like, man, I don't have enough barns. Let me build some bigger barns to put my stuff in. And Jesus says this in Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, fool, on this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose are they going to be? You're going to give them to someone. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And listen to this and is not rich toward God. You see, there's a richness in life that is way more important than life here because we know this, everything we own is going to somebody else. It'll go to your spouse, it'll go to your kids, or it'll go to somebody else. Nothing we take. And so we need to be rich toward God, and Christ is going to define for us today what that looks like. Paul also encouraged us by his own life when he said these words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and now I count all that I had as rubbish in order that I may know and gain Christ. And so that is the subject matter we're going to talk about today. Do you and I want to know that? 
Do we want to know what it's like to know the abundant life that Christ offers in a relationship? And so I'm excited about this. If I get a little fired up this morning, just bear with me. This is so important for us to get and understand today. So once again, in John chapter 10, Jesus says the same words. Truly, truly, I say to you. And what he's doing by this, he's saying this. I'm telling you something you must embrace. Something you must follow. Something that, that must, be, must be a dominant feature of your life. What I'm about to say, listen well to it. Now, I don't know if they listened well again because they didn't. Verse 6 tells us they didn't listen well. But he comes back again. So it says, so again, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. So what is the truly, truly about that we need to embrace? It's the second part of verse 7. I am the door of the sheep. So John 10, 7 says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So if you're a sheep of God, if you are in a relationship with God, you are only so because you've come through the door of Christ. And so I've got another page I want to put up on our oh, wrong one. That's the next one. Hang on. So Jesus sets forth for us that he is the door of the sheep. So for the sheep, speaking of those who are members of the kingdom of God, members of the family of God, the only way that you and I can be that is to go through the door of Christ. He is the only door. Last week we talked about on our, on our door here that the Old Testament prophets wrote about the coming of the Messiah. So how did Jesus enter into the world? He entered into the world through the door of the fulfillment of Scripture. So, so today we're going to talk about He's the door of the sheep, and then we're going to talk about another thing that we'll put up there here in just a moment. So we've got a change of scenery in the text here. So let me take us back to last week. In and around Bethlehem were all the lambs that were raised for the sacrifice at Passover. So there are tons of lambs, tons of shepherds outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not far from Jerusalem. So at nighttime, if you were near the city, you would bring your sheep in to, let's say, the stage here is like a sheep pen, and the shepherd would come in, and he would bring his sheep in. He would count them as they come in. He would pull them aside with his shepherd's crook, uh, ones that looked like they needed some kind of tending. And then he would put them in there, and then he had a home in Bethlehem because many of the shepherds, uh, lived in and around uh, Bethlehem and so he would go home and he would sleep at night in his home with his family and then he would hire someone who at the doorway of, of the sheepfold would lay down at night and they would guard all of the sheep inside the pen. Sometimes there would be four or five flocks that would be in there and this gatekeeper, this doorkeeper would watch the sheep and then in the morning when the shepherd came back he would greet the gatekeeper. They knew each other, they had a relationship the gatekeeper would open the door for the shepherd, and the shepherd would call the sheep out, and they knew his voice. He would call them. They would work their way through the other sheep. They would come out to their shepherd, and then they would go out to the hillside for the day. So the scene that we're looking at now in John chapter 7 is away from the city. We're going to the countryside. The Verlanders have moved to the country, if you haven't heard. They're country people. They're going to start talking weird, I guess, or something in the days ahead. I don't know. But <clears throat> so we're going to go up to the hills. We're going to go out to the country. And we're going to go to a sheepfold up in the mountains and the hills where you don't have anybody to hire. And so the shepherd brings his sheep into a pen up in the hills. And now he becomes not only just the shepherd, but he gets at the door and he lays down at the door. He becomes the door. And he is the shepherd. And so we're, we're going to look at what that means as Jesus describes himself, that I am the door of the sheep. So G. Campbell Morgan, in his commentary on this text, um, wrote about a conversation that he had with uh, Sir um, George Adam Smith, who was a scholar who spent a lot of time in the Near East uh, dealing with and talking with uh, shepherds. And Smith told of a meeting of a shepherd um, who was not a Christian. He was an Arab man. And he told of meeting uh, this person. And he talked about, um, he went to the place where, um, up in the hillside, where they had, they had four walls and then there was a small opening there. And so um, he said, so this is where the sheep come in? Yeah, this is where the sheep come in. And, 
He said, and so what do you do? And he said, well, after they get in here, I, I, I am right here at the door. And he said, well, there's not, there's not really a door here. And he said, no, yeah, there is a door. I am the door. I'm the door. And so if in the nighttime a sheep wants to come out of the pen, it has to step on me and over me. And if a wolf wants to come in and try to devour and scatter the sheep, that wolf has to step over me and I will deal with that wolf as it does that. And so the shepherd said, when the light is gone and the sheep are all inside, I lie in the open space in front of the sheep and no sheep ever goes out but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Now listen to this church. In our culture today, this is what you will hear. There are many doors to God. But that's not what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, I am a door of many to get to God. He says, no, I am the door. I am the only door. If you want to be in a relationship, you want to be a sheep of God, you want to know Him, you have to come through me. I am the door. Now, our culture will say, there's many ways to get to God. If that's the case, Jesus is a liar. And we ought to all go home today. Or He's telling the truth. That He is the door, the only way. And if that is the case, then we must get to the door. And we must step through the door and enter into relationship. So it is Christ alone who is the door. By His work and His merit, by His substitutionary death, He opened the way for the sheep to come into relationship and to come inside. And so therefore, He is the only way of entering the abundant life and the only way to come to know God through Christ. And if you long to live a saved life, a life connected to Christ, secure in heaven, then you must go through the door that is called Jesus Christ. And I want to point to the picture again today. We have a cross and a door against it. We have to come through the door Christ who died on the cross. And so through that, we get salvation through His work. Later, Jesus in John chapter 14 will say these exact same words in a different way where he says, I am the, I am the only door of the sheep. And he will say these famous words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. You have to come through me. So he is the exclusive door to life and the exclusive door to to the presence of God. Paul wrote it like this. Ephesians 2.18 For through Him, Christ, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Peter said it like this, Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. There is one name, one door, one way, one life. What does a door do? I'm guaranteeing last night, in all of our homes, wherever we live, before we went to bed, we did not do this. We did not take all the screens off our windows and open up all the windows and open up all the doors and go lie down in bed. Did anybody do that last night? Nobody did that. Why? Because doors are not only just an entryway, doors also do this. They bring security. They bring security now, when we talk about Jesus as the door, so it's an entryway into relationship. But watch this. Great news this morning. It also means this, that once we are in, in a sense, He shuts the door and we are saved. We are in Him. We will see later in John chapter 10 that if you are in relationship and you are one of His sheep, we are placed in the hands of Jesus. And then Jesus says, we are also placed in the hand of the Father. And Jesus says these words, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. So a doorway, we didn't come through windows today. We didn't come through that. We came through doors. They are entered, we entered in, and then that entrance brings a security to our lives that we are in Christ. Remember Noah and the ark. Noah gets all the animals in, 
Noah and his family get inside. Do you remember what it says? Noah didn't shut the door. God closed the door, the ark, and he closed them in. Why? Because they would in the ark, the ark, a picture of Christ, they would be saved by being inside and that door shutting. And the floodwaters came and Noah and his family received salvation from God from the judgment that came. This is what it means to be in relationship with Christ. So we enter in through the door, and as we enter in, there's a security that comes to our lives. He becomes both of these for the sheep. He becomes our salvation, our entryway, and He becomes our great security. And this great reality led Paul to write these words in 2 Timothy 1.10. Listen to this. And which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, he writes, for I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced, listen to this, Paul says, I am convinced that he, the door, the one who shuts it, we enter, he shuts it, we are secure. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. So it's not dependent upon once we enter the door or we're in a relationship, do we do well enough to earn enough credits and merits to eventually get into heaven? It has nothing to do with our merits. Our merits are worthless, by the way. But his life is the great life. And because he was perfect and because he bore our sin in his body, we have the security to know this is not one of these, boy, I hope this works. I hope this works. But it is a confidence in the security of the door of salvation. And there will be many doors offered to us in our lifetime, right, adults? We've lived long enough to know that all kinds of doors get open to us. Hey, come through this. Come in here. Great future career opportunity. Great this, great that. And we have to always be discerning about the doors that are open before us. Some of them we ought to walk through. There's more blessing and more movement of God in our lives and learning of God through those. And some of them we ought to avoid like the plague. Don't enter them. Because it's all about self, it's all about um, advancement, and all about being grounded here. But I tell you, there's no door like Jesus. Don't stay outside that door. He's inviting you in. Because if you stay outside that door, you miss so much. And I wonder sometimes, could much of the insecurity in our lives come from the fact that we are not convinced that He is able to keep us secure? If what we sang about a while ago... Our God is able to keep us. That it's not dependent upon us. If that is true, and we believed it deep down, would we have the fears and insecurities that we have? To know this, that no matter what happens, I am His in the Father's, in the Son's hands. So you can kill the body, but you cannot touch my soul. Because I am secure in Him. So if I haven't emphasized it enough, let me emphasize it again. He is the door to the sheep. Not only salvation, but in our growth and our sanctification to know Him. So the next thing that Jesus shares here is He's going to talk about people who had come before Him and proclaim things. What were they like? Look at verse 8. So all who came before me Here's how, these are Jesus' words, not mine. Are thieves and robbers. But here's the reality of the true sheep. They did not listen to them. Here's the next thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus' voice distinguishes him between what is true and what is false. If we know his voice, we will know truth. If what we hear is not his voice, it's what? It's false. It's not true. It's not right. So spiritual voices that are not Christ are characterized by Christ 
as robbery and thievery. And I tell you, there are many robbing voices today in and around the church. You may have heard, I don't know um, how much you read of stuff, but some famous pastors, because they teach biblical sexuality, um, were blamed for the murder at the massage parlor um, this weekend. It was, it was because that guy was, he was a church member of a Southern Baptist church, and because he went in there and, and killed the people that were in that massage parlor, um, they're now blaming some of the prominent pastors. These, these are people with, within and under the umbrella of Christianity. They're now blaming these prominent pastors for that massacre that took place this week. That means people like me, and that means people like other people who teach biblical stances on these things, then we are to blame for the ills of the country, and we are not. But here's what I want to point out, though. That's being proclaimed this morning in churches in America. That churches who believe what the Bible teaches are to blame for the chaos in our country. Coming from people who claim to be inside the church. So when that happens, what's Jesus' perspective of that? His perspective is the same as the religious leaders. That is a thieving and a robbing of the truth of God and the integrity of the glory of God and the integrity of Scripture. So let's ask a question. So who's, who's he referring to? Who's Jesus referring to here? That all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Is he talking about the prophets? No. He's not talking about the prophets. He's talking about the men standing in front of him, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and even potentially the scribes. And he is telling them, Y'all are adding burdens to people's lives. You're teaching things that take away from the Scripture. You are adding to the Scripture. And by doing so, you are thieving and robbing the people of God of knowing what is exactly the truth. They had taught during the intertestamental period, there was this 400-year period of silence. When Malachi wrote the last words, the last prophet spoke, there were 400 years of silence. In that intertestamental period, this group of people called the Pharisees rose up. Their intentions originally were great. We have strayed. Our national history is we stray from God all the time. So let's try to help the people to not stray. And so to help the people not stray, let's come up with ways to interpret how to follow God's laws. And that'll be practical ways for the people to follow the laws. Well, what they began to do is they added all these rules that were not biblical and then required the people to not only follow the laws, but also follow their new rules. And it just put incredible burdens on people. And so Jesus is coming along and he's saying to these men standing in front of them, you are thieves and robbers of the truth. All you have come before me who should have prepared the people to be ready for me, the Messiah, to come and they weren't ready for me. You definitely weren't ready for me because you fight me at every turn. And he calls them out for shepherding badly. Go back to John 9. Jesus heals the blind man. They cast him out. They shut the door to the blind man. Is that a good shepherd? No. Jesus finds him outside, opens the door to him. He comes to salvation. And so therefore, Jesus shows what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd seeks those that are lost and invites them in. So when Jesus arrived on the scene in the first century, spiritual leadership of the nation was severely lacking. It was in a dire, dire place. I want to show you a couple places in the Old Testament about this. So hang with me. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23, and then we're going to go to Ezekiel 34. And then we just have one more point. But you know me. I can make one point last a long time. But let's read a couple of places where God speaks to the shepherds, the religious leaders in the Old Testament, about some things, and there's some very practical things for our lives in here as well. Jeremiah 23. And then we'll go to Ezekiel 34. 
All right, here we go. Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who should be caring for, but look what they do, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. I want you to remember those words in a moment when we get to Ezekiel. Behold, I will attend to you, God telling the shepherds, for your evil deeds and how you treated the sheep, declares the Lord. Look at verse 3. But here's what God will do, even though there was a lack of good shepherding. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply, and then I will set shepherds over them, and listen to what shepherds should do, care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Listen to those words in that last verse. Verse 4, to what sheep should be like under the care of good leadership and good shepherding. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Now hear me, church, today. And I, 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 don't, know, I don't know you inside your heart of hearts this morning. But I know during this past year, fear has dominated even the church in the COVID season. It kept people away, afraid, and fear had just, had just people who didn't know it, now it was just dominant in their life, and they didn't know anything about it. And I just, I just want to lovingly say this morning to anybody watching online and to everybody in the room this morning, or to anybody who's going to watch this week. Our good God, who is the shepherd, is going to take care of every one of us. You are secure in Him. And it's time to leave the life of fear. By the way, one of the things I think Satan has loved over the past 12 to 13 months is that we have convinced ourselves that we are in control of the day we die. Oh, I'll just stay away from people, and that way I'll live longer. Oh, no, not, that's not how it works. There is an appointed day for us to, to die, and God knows that day. So what should believers do? We should live not in fear. We should live in the security that we are held in the hands of the shepherd. It is okay. It's okay to be concerned. To live wisely. Yes, always live that way. But we are not to live in fear. There are 365 promises in the Old and New Testament. Last time I looked, except for leap year, there are 365 days in a year. There is a promise in the Bible every day, enough for every day that we can live in confidence and not fear in trusting God. And so, if today fear is dominating anybody's life, I want to remind you, if you are a sheep, you have nothing to fear. As a matter of fact, when this life is over and none of us are in control of when this life is over, we actually step into real life after this life. We are in His presence. And I'm not trying to get off this planet. I'm not. I'm going to drive safely today. I'll be wise with my health. But I want to be with Jesus. And if he takes me soon, 
He takes me, and I'm with Him, and I'm healed, and I'm home. Jesus is communicating. I am the door of the sheep. You've got to enter into me. And once you do, I close in a sense the door and you are mine. And you have nothing to fear. So you have a good shepherd. And I think one of the things pastors in my role have done poorly this year is to communicate to people in America, we are okay. We don't have to live in fear. Let's live in the confidence and trusting in who He is. And so now let's go to, I want you to go to to uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 just for a moment. And let's read this. And then we'll be at our last point. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. This is another word. It's come through the prophet Ezekiel about shepherding. So the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all of the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered and wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth, and none... I lost my place. Hang on here. Where was that? Eight? Oh, here we go. As a, uh, six. Yeah, there we go. Six. Sorry. And none to search and seek for them. Seven. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, and since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, Therefore, you shepherds, you hear the word of the Lord. Now listen to 10. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. Now look up here. Do not think for a minute that God doesn't get angry with people like me and elders and teachers who are shepherds of people who teach false things. God's against the shepherds here. You know, do you want God against you? You do not want God against you. And God says, I'm against you because you have made this about you, about getting what you want from the sheep and benefiting yourself. And so he says there, I'm against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep And no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. And I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. What were the shepherds in the Old Testament doing? They were practicing robbery. Thieving. And this stuff out there today in 2021 called progressive Christianity is robbing people in the church of knowing the truth. And God will deal with that and He will deal with it strongly because anyone within Christianity who speaks that Jesus is not the only door, according to Jesus, they are thieves and robbers. And they should not be listened to for spiritual direction. So what's needed? What's needed today? What do we need in 2021? We need discernment. Sadly, we've lived for a long time, multiple decades, having a Christianity that's grounded in feelings, not grounded in facts of the truth of Scripture. 
and feelings betray us. I don't know if yours do. Mine betray me daily. I can feel terrible at 10 o'clock and then at 1 o'clock I can just feel so fantastic. And I can think the world's crashing in at, you know, 1030 and, and I think the world's just going to be the greatest thing at 1 o'clock. And so what do, I, what do we have to do in a world that's dominated by man-centered perspective? We got to know the truth. See, this is another time where Jesus says the true sheep aren't going to listen. They are not going to listen to bad shepherds. They're going to listen to the true sheep. They will follow him. And so what, what do we need to do today? We need to know his voice very, very well so that we do not get caught up in the hypocrisy of the day. The true sheep understand we must walk in obedience. The faithful walk in the word of God and it keeps them from being touched and tainted by the ways of the world. And knowing His voice leads us to refuse all other voices and things that are out there. And there has always been throughout the history of the world, even in the darkest spiritual days, those who undeniably knew the sound of the Savior, and they remained focused on His strong and sovereign voice, and they did not cave and they did not buy in and they walked with him and so jesus and paul communicates this as well in romans chapter 11 that there have been false teachers of every age steeped in corruption teaching things robbing from the people of god deceiving the people of god using the sheep for their own benefit but there has always been a true flock who refused to follow the lies and eventually, what I think we have seen during the past year is there has been a refining of the church in America of those who used to play the game have left. Not everyone, don't misunderstand me, but there are many who have left who played the game and I'm not for sure if they're ever coming back. And the reason I say that is I think it's biblical. The Apostle John wrote this, these words in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. And they, there, there used to be people who were a part of the group that John was a part of. John pastored Ephesus Church early on, so I don't know if he's referring to the Ephesian church here. But in 1 John 2, 19, he writes, And they went out from us. They left us. Because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Now, this is not talking about changing church membership. This is talking about people just leaving the church, just walking away, walking away. So false sheep will eventually leave the fold and leave the church. And thieves and robbers, let me remind us of the context here. He is referring to religious leaders. He's not referring to atheists. He's referring to people inside the religious system who had become thieves and robbers of the truth. So I believe COVID's work has done a, a work that revealed what was there but was hidden. And it's brought it to light. And I believe the vast gulf between historic biblical Christianity and what is known as this new brand progressive Christianity has grown immensely. And one of the things I've been so encouraged by with you has been this during these days. As I've had many conversations with so many of you. And it's as if God has been refining things and we recognize the desperate necessity for us to know the voice of God in these days. We are bombarded with lies. Not just about COVID, but about everything. Boys are boys and girls are girls. God defined that. And our culture wants to redefine it. And that's a lie. Telling 10-year-olds that they ought to get sex change surgery is a lie. And so God's people, in these days, we get refined. 
And I think we have been refined. And I've been so deeply encouraged by the discernment that has risen up at LifePoint in these days for us to recognize the foolishness of what we are told in our culture. It's necessary today. And I believe the pulpit and churches today must be a place where courage and conviction are seen and heard. Christ's voice must be clearly portrayed in preaching. And it is the model that Jesus gave. It is the model that John the Baptist gave, the prophets gave, Peter gave, Paul gave, Stephen gave. And for the last 2,000 years, people like you and I have stood for truth and at times has cost life, possessions, freedom, and led to imprisonment and even death. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm the door. You got to enter into me. If you enter in through me, um, you got to know my voice and you'll reject all the other voices and we'll finish with this. So once we enter in, and he says it again, look at nine now. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So I'll put another thing up here. And I want to talk as we close about Jesus being the health of our soul. That our soul's health is connected to Christ. And that's what he says here. Look at 9 again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So this is the second time Jesus is emphasizing that he is the door. Do you think he thinks this is important? Yes. Emphasizing it. I am the door for the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. So let me give some things as to why Jesus is the health of our soul. First one is this. We must step in to relationship through the door of Jesus. Your works aren't going to save you. Joe Farr is not going to save Drew Farr. Joe's a godly man. Mark Verlander is not going to save his daughters by being a godly man. Matt, you're not going to save your sons by your life. You've got to get your sons through the door. Encourage your sons to go through the door. So everybody in the room this morning, you must understand this. We must enter through the door of Jesus. We must step into the door. The invitation is there. It's not works. It's not who you know. Unless who you know is Jesus. And life is not found anywhere else. Health comes from the presence of the Savior in the presence of the shepherd. But here's the second thing of how we get health. He invites, He's the door. We enter by Him into salvation. And when we do that, we are saved, Jesus says. So real health comes to our soul in salvation. That we go from death on the inside to life. We go from being blind to being able to see. We go from being lost to now being found. And so salvation comes by entering the door in which we have been invited, in which God is drawing us. This word saved here that Jesus speaks in the Greek means someone who has recovered from a serious illness or they have survived war. They have come through saved and rescued. And so Jesus is saying, you want health? You've got to enter the door in relationship with me. As you do that, salvation comes by entering the door. And then he uses this phrase. He says, and they will go in and out and find pasture. This was common language among the shepherds 2,000 years ago. In the shepherding world, it pointed to the sheep being nourished and satisfied. They could, they could go out to the pasture and eat. They could come back to a place of security. They were nourished. They were satisfied from the eating. So for the Jew, going in and out to find pasture, it meant safety, it meant security, had come to the people. 
Now in those days um, when people lived with inside walls and when they were under the attack, what did they do? They locked it down and you couldn't go out. You're stuck inside. So this is a picture that, watch this, watch. That in salvation, that though the door is closed to security, there's a freedom to go in and out, not to danger, out, but to different places to eat of the goodness of God and to be satisfied. To taste and know the fruit of His hand and His work in our lives. And so let's, let's talk about this for a moment. So we, we, we must step in through the door of Jesus. Salvation comes through entering the door. And there's a going in and out that brings, thirdly, a spiritual nourishment to our lives. That we eat of the truth and we're satisfied. We sing and lift our hands. We pray. We have community with one another. And we're satisfied because of the work of God that He's doing in our lives. The shepherd's leadership allowed the sheep to go in and out of places to eat. Fresh grass, green pastures. And it was a place where authentic spiritual nourishment was given in our lives. And as in Psalm chapter 23, we get the picture here. It carried the idea of the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need anything else. I have abundance. Peter said it like this in 2 Peter 1, 3. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness through Christ. Jesus is enough. We don't need any more than Jesus. He is fully sufficient, fully satisfying in everything that we need. Shepherds, as they would carry their sheep or they would lead their sheep during the day, if they came by a fruit tree, they would pick fruit and they would stick it in these bags and they would walk and as they walked along, they would reach into their bag and they would have fruit behind their hands like this and they would walk and the sheep that were closest, guess who ate the fruit? You think, you think the ones way back there? No, it was the ones who stayed close to the shepherd. They ate the fruit out of his hand. And he would pick berries and apples. And he would keep them and he would hold them out. If you want to, you're not want to follow him, then he does that in life, does he not at times? Doesn't he sometimes just surprise us with these amazing things? And they come when we draw near. So he nourishes us. Some of us have come to know that reality that there has never been anything lacking in Jesus. Nothing. Nothing lacking in Him. And so this spiritual nourishment brings a satisfaction in our lives. Not the Mick Jagger satisfaction. But deep-seated satisfaction. Kids, you can ask your parents about Mick Jagger. Yeah. Adam Levine saying about him, but some of us know Mick Jagger. And he doesn't know satisfaction still. You see, those who know Christ have come to be so satisfied that we don't need anything else. We know there's nothing lacking in our lives. Lastly, there's a security to come by following the shepherd. The shepherd's leadership allowed the sheep to feel secure when they went in and out. Why? Because he went with them. He didn't just go, hey, go find your own field today. Good luck with that. He led them. Psalm 23, 4. And even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death up in the hills in Israel, there were some real crevices that they would lead their sheep down and it was dark and around some of the corners bears and lions were there and the sheep were restless at times you know what the shepherd would do he would sing and it would echo off the walls and those back behind because not everybody gets can be right there but they would hear his voice and they would know he's up there he's up there and he's going to encounter whatever's around the corner first and he will fight to the death for me. And I'm amazed this morning at grace. That Christ fought to the very death. For your salvation and my salvation. 
All of those lead to soul health. If you're not healthy today, come back to Jesus. He's calling you back. If you've not come into relationship with Him, you've got to step through the door and be saved. And once you do, there's this opportunity for soul health to come. And sometimes, let's just be honest, we Christians are unhealthy. God hasn't done that. We have done that. We have strayed. We have stepped aside. We have, go, we have all turned aside and gone our own way. And when we do that, we, we lose something. So let me close with these three thoughts here. When we come to truly know Him and there's soul health in our lives, there is rest in the relationship with the Savior. Listen to these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Second time there, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is what? It's light. It's light. When we have learned to come to know Jesus and to draw near, He carries the burden, He carries the weight, and you find rest even in the midst of chaos. See, Jesus knew about that. He's asleep in a boat one night and a storm comes up. And he stays asleep. Why? Because he has trust in his father. He wasn't going to drown. He was going to die on a cross. And so he could have confidence that everything is okay. And he wasn't worried about it. Everybody else in the boat was worried about it. Go wake up the one who can sleep through this. Church, run to the one who is not panicked about anything. Whose kingdom is unshakable. So we get rest when our soul is healthy. We are refreshed when the soul is healthy. Psalm 107.9 For He, God, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul and He fills them with good things. Psalm 34.8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And there are days that I wake up and at my kitchen table... I read the Word and study and do the W-4. I do it here at the office. And I just taste and it's just so good. And then there's moments, these little slivers of life, where I taste things and it's so amazing. The greatest food, the greatest spice in the history of the world is under the umbrella of Thai food. And it's called green curry chicken. And I could eat it every day every day I could eat it and this place up here off 380 now called spoon and fork they should give me a free meal for the advertisement today if you ever want to bring me a meal that's where you need to go green curry chicken with white rice and every time I eat it I have a supernatural experience I sweat a little on my forehead. My mouth is a little bit on fire. And I just say, yay God for this spice. So good. Listen to me. We talk a lot about heaven and we should. But we ought to also talk about moments of tasting green chicken curry that just remind us how creative was our God to create things that in His Word we taste and see that He is good. And then in the food that He has made, we taste and see that He is good. You see, when we, our soul is healthy, we are at rest and we are refreshed. And it leads to this. It leads to rejoicing. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Luke 10, 20. Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two. They'd gone on a little short-term mission trip 
You ever gone on a short-term mission trip? You come back excited. You see God at work and God used you. They come back and they're like, I, they were talking about this. We cast demons out of people's bodies. And they were rejoicing that they had this, that, that God had given this ability to cast out demons. And Jesus says, hold the phone. I got something better than that. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But you rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Get excited about that. You see, the very last thing our enemy wants is for our soul to be healthy. Moses prayed one time and had a conversation with God in, in Numbers 27, 16, and 17. This is what Moses said. He said, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, over God's people. And this one that God appoints over God's people Listen to this language. Who shall go out before them and come in before them. Does that sound familiar? Who shall lead them out and bring them in. That the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. You know what Moses was praying there? You know who he was praying for? Jesus. The coming of Jesus. He's saying, Lord, we send the one who will take us in and take us out, go before and bring us back. Moses is longing for Jesus there. And when our good and true shepherd is guarding the flock, then we are secure in him who leads us, for we trust in his goodness. And soul satisfaction can actually be known in a broken and corrupt world. For it is found in the soul satisfier who is the shepherd. All right. Verse 5 of Psalm 23 says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know what your life is like, but I, I haven't been inviting a lot of enemies over for dinner lately, preparing a table for them. We are to love our enemies, but what is David talking about when he writes this? So for about 25 years now, I've been studying Psalm chapter 23. And there's a section out of every year of the last 25 years where I spent about a week just trying to gather new stuff. And I think Psalm 23 is the cliff notes version of the entire christian life it's the summary of everything from beginning to end and so way back when early on in my study probably about year two i found an obscure story spoken by a shepherd in israel when i was 12 summer and i was 12 my parents took me on a holy land tour and we were in jerusalem i was uh an adventure i'm kind of crazy I have craziness inside my DNA and I'm kind of not fearful a lot of times and so I I still well I don't know if I should tell the story my parents are listening this morning there's some things I haven't told my parents about my 12 year old life yet but so we went to Rome first and I went with my grandparents old people go to bed early so I used to crawl out the window in Rome as a 12 year old and walk around the streets at night not real wise, but I did that. Crawled down the drainage pipe. In Israel, our, our guide told us we stayed right above the Sea of Galilee. And our guide said, see that field right there? If y'all want to walk down the Sea of Galilee, walk the street. It'll take you a while, but don't go through that field. There are snakes in there called adders. They're all over Israel, and they're all over that field. If you're not careful, then you'll die or you'll get really sick. What do you think I did? Think I obeyed those words? So my grandfather laid down. I thought, gosh, I could be at the Sea of Galilee in five minutes. So I walked straight through that field, walked down the Sea of Galilee, walked straight back up that field. <clears throat> my grandfather has gone to Jesus. I guess he knows now that I did that, but I never told him that story either while he was snoring away. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
Church, this culture may not recover. God may not revive this country. So what do we do if it gets worse? How do we find satisfaction in a crumbling culture? Shepherds were to bring their sheep to a new field. He'll keep them up on the mountainside. And he'll go down in that field and he turns over rocks and logs. And he uses a staff and moves tall grass. And he's looking for holes about this size. And if he finds one from his side here, he's got a a pouch of hog's oil. And he takes it off and he pours it on top of the hole. And it runs down he pours it inside the hole. And once he's, watch, once he's prepared the field, he goes and he calls the sheep and says, let's come eat. They come down in the field and they start eating. I don't know if sheep talk to each other during meals. Good grass today. Yes, good grass today. The rumbling of their feet says something to the adders who live in the holes. And a shepherd who doesn't prepare the field The adders come up out of the hole and bite the sheep on the nose or the leg and an inexperienced shepherd can literally lose 20 to 25 sheep in an afternoon. But I want you to watch this. He calls the sheep down. They're eating grass. The adders feel the rumbling. Something's up there. They begin to crawl out of their holes and their scales meet the hog's oil and literally inches away from death in the presence of their enemies. They eat until they are satisfied. That is our God. That's a God worthy to believe in. So this culture, we don't control what's going to happen other than pleading with God to move. And he will move or he will not move. But I do know this, that he will always be moving in his people taking us to deeper places to know him. So when we come to John 10 and he enters the world through the fulfillment of scripture, he is the, he is the door, not a door of many. He is the door to salvation. And then he becomes the health of our soul. So I plead with you today, come to Jesus. Come to him, return back to him. Because he is the satisfier of our souls. And what we need is more of Him, more of Him, more of Him, more of Him. And in this world, it is not going to satisfy. But He will, even in the midst of the presence of our enemies. Let's pray.